you should be exploring it, but be very cautious. The question is, find a place that really matters. Don't just run around so you can throw up a flag and say, oh, we're using AI. Many CEOs don't want a marketing person who is focused on product at all. They think that's a distraction. Your job is to go promote. You're too technical. You're too product-oriented. From Orion X, this is The Marketing Podcast. Marketing has transformed in significant ways. More technology, more data, more social, more blending of arts and sciences, more integrated with every other function, and ultimately more critical to the organization. Join Shaheen Khan and Doug Garnett as they discuss news and happenings in the world of marketing, from the boardroom to customer programs. Hi, everybody. Marketing Podcast here again. Shaheen Khan with Doug Garnett. How are you, Doug? I'm doing well, Shaheen. Brilliant. We've been having a bunch of good conversation as usual for the past hour or so. So let's get started. We have the cart. The cart has an item in it. Yes, we do. The cartoon, that is. Cartoon. So <laughs> for the cartoon, we have a cartoon making fun of the I'm not a robot stuff that's going on online, you know, the CAPTCHA and things like that. This one's right. particularly funny because, I mean, I do know most people sometimes struggle to figure out which images actually have streetlights in them and what the question, what is a streetlight means, and you know stuff like that. I certainly know I have screwed some of those up myself. This one, though, says, select all images where if you were to add a decrescendo, oh yeah, each image is a piece of music. Select all images where if you add to a decrescendo, it would add to the musicality of the piece without being interpreted as an overly heavy-handed metaphor within the context of the thematic material. <laughs> so uh, that, that's the only way to prove you're human with this website. The music is pretty funny. I mean, you know, my thought was I have etude books that probably have every one of these in them from my days playing saxophone which are somewhat in the distant past, although I still have the ability to pick it up if I wanted to. So I chuckled quite well at this, but I do know, man, I tell you, they keep having to get really subtle in those. And some days, even select all images, they have a crosswalk in them. And you wonder, are we defining crosswalk the same way? But <laughs> makes me feel particularly dumb. You know, the music that they have, how many? Nine, nine, three rows of three. They're all pretty complicated. And yeah. mm -hmm. you know what you're looking at and they're complicated to you. Most people can't even understand what the question is. So, you know, my immediate reaction was, oh my God, this is like the kind of question that perhaps only a robot can actually solve. So, <laughs> so maybe not clicking it is the right answer. So you mean we've reached the full postmodern period of proving that you're not a robot? Where you prove that you're not a robot by being a robot? I'm not sure I get this, but you know, there's something in yeah, here. Yeah, I think the Turing test was supposed to be about when we can't tell the difference <laughs> between robots and humans. Uh -huh, I think it uh -huh. is now moved beyond. So robots <laughs> are now going to decide if we're dumb enough to be human. <laughs> it looks like full inception capture. Is the top still spinning at this point? We'll find out. But this is a good yep. segue into AI. It yeah. showed up and it impressed. So everybody says, oh, mm -hmm. this thing is a little bit more real than I thought. Yeah. It's frustrating for me, though, because you know, at this point in time, we're really only offered kind of two extremes. On the one hand, we have extremes which, you know, are telling us it can do anything. Or we hear these exaggerated, silly stories about it invented a new language, you know, it could read in a language it wasn't trained to read in and these kinds of things, which, you know, I follow uh, some AI experts and they come back with, no, that's not what happened. 
And every time you learn that's not what happened. And then on the other extreme, we have a whole group of people who are telling us it's the end of mankind. Because if we allow these you know, bots, these uh, AIs to take over the world, that's it. It's the end of mankind and it's all over. I've lived through a lot of these kind of tech transitions. And from that note, the real truth is it's neither of them. It's just a tool. And the question is, and this is what is so frustrating for me at this point, is clearly there are things that the new AI work can do well. There's things that AI work does poorly, and we're not getting any really solid insight into that. If that's what matters for application, is figuring out, can I apply it? Should I apply it? Do I care to apply it? And if I apply it, what's the danger? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think that is exactly the question. Is this relevant to me? And if it is, what action do I need to take? And when do I need mm -hmm. to take that action? Do I need to do it immediately? Or, or can I wait another six months? And then... Or honestly, another six years, you know, might be yeah. fine for a lot of companies. We don't know. Depending. I think that really is the crux is what is my assessment of can I wait or do I need to take action right away? And you may need expert advice for that. You may not be able to Google your way into that answer. You may need to talk to people who really people you trust who have a closer seat than you do to the action and the intellect to interpret it properly. But then the more important thing is once you do decide that you need to take action, do you have the wherewithal to have a seat at the table while it is developing, mm -hmm. right? And what sort of action you need to take. So it's one thing to just experiment with the tools as they come along, as we all do. It's another thing to allocate a billion dollar fund to go deep into it for the next 10 years and hire people and this, that, and the other that some people are doing. All these new technologies are in that category. I saw a meme this week that uh, observed that while I was in running my first test in chat GPT, 20 other AI apps appeared. You know, I mean, that's one of the problems we have at this point in time is that the chaos of all these things coming out with all these people telling us that they're God's gift to mankind or the devil's gift to mankind, depending on which side of the equation you fall on, you have to fight your way through, why do I care about all this stuff? Or which ones do I care about? How do I even explore it if I'm being told, oh, you played with that yesterday? Well, that's old now. So you got to play with something else today. Okay, play with it. Oh, well, that's old now because then something else new came out. It's really, this is like the worst of things that we see online. And I've especially seen it online. And, you know, we were talking earlier, that this so reminds me of the late 90s and the early 2000s when there was a lot of FUD marketing. Let's call it what it is. It's FUD marketing. FUD being fear, uncertainty, and doubt used to try to push people into making a commitment and spending money with people. And in the, in the late 90s and the early 2000s, the FUD marketing was, if you don't stake out your claim on the internet now, you'll never be able to in the future. It turned out that it was entirely wrong. I have companies that didn't have an immediate need for the internet and waited 10 years to really put their toe in very deep were just fine. They might have to go buy their website name from somebody, and that could be a little expensive, but it wasn't any catastrophe. It wasn't any huge deal. And I think we've very regularly been presented with these digital quandaries where, you know, I don't know, is it venture-funded hype that makes it appear so much like you've got to do this now, or just simply the investment of all these people who are trying to make their careers with? Well, I think you have to decide whether it's relevant to you or not. Are you blockbusters? In mm -hmm. which case, you better take this internet thing more seriously. Are you the retail shop that you better take Amazon seriously? 
or are you, you know, the pet store and you kind of can ignore pets.com or whatever it was, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that's what makes it hard to get that proper decision because it may very well put you out of business if you're on the wrong side of this thing, mm-hmm. right? The other thing about AI is that while your business may or may not care, you as a human being, it's hard not to care. You do want to know what is really going on here. And part of the reason people are paying attention to it is because they think this could very well be a black swan kind of an event, Mm -hmm. while it is kind of unlikely that it's going to annihilate humankind. If the chance of that is like 2%, that's a really high percent, because if it actually happens, you're dead. (laughs) It's not like, (laughs) you know, it's game over. It's not like you get to put another quarter in, right? Uh huh. What's well, true, but I mean, let me put it. I mean, you mentioned Amazon. I think actually, I'd like to go back to that because I think the challenge for retailers is too many retailers, in fact, got distracted by Amazon. I mean, Amazon certainly is something they had to pay attention to, but in order to make their investors happy, which is what I think one of the primary motivations was, they had to mount major projects that said we're going online, we're integrating all this, and they ended up way overspending and taking their eyes off of their competitive advantage, which is stores. And so, yes, Amazon was there. Yes, they had to be concerned about Amazon. But in retrospect, the ones who survived best were ones who continued to develop their stores because the store is the retailer's competitive advantage. Some of us knew that from the beginning. And yet from about 2006 to maybe 2015, the push for retailers to take their eye off of what's important to them and put it all on Amazon was massive. I had an argument with somebody at one point in time, and you know, we were talking about Sears, and they're, you know, they're saying, well, you know, Amazon's putting Sears out of business. I said, no, they're not. Costco is putting Sears out of business. Amazon mm-hmm. may be the straw that breaks the camel's back. But mm-hmm. as far as damage, Costco did the damage to Sears. So did big box stores of other types like Best Buy and things like that. You know, And so a lot of stores get taken out by just normal market change. And yet the story develops that it's the latest shiny bobble. And I think that that's what I expect to see with retailers as well and chat GPT. I mean, I'm already seeing a lot of stuff about, is it too late? for a retailer to start working <laughs> chat GPT into their, you know, I mean, it's just absurd stuff. Well, of course it's not too late. I mean, at this point in time, no one knows whether there is any advantage of any significant sort for a retailer from working AI into their systems. Well, you know, somebody could point and say, of course, they can eliminate labor costs on phone lines by using AI-driven bots. And then we can point to other examples of having done that have turned out very bad because some of the AI has bots have responded badly with lost customers and created disasters. So, you know, a retailer, you should be exploring it, but be very cautious. The question is, Find a place it really matters. Don't just run around so you can throw up a flag and say, oh, we're using AI. I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot of pressure by management, by boards, by investors, by everybody around you to ask you, are you using any of this stuff? And, you know, we think we need to be on the front end of this thing and all that. And I actually believe in that. I think you do want to be on the front end of this in a measured, proper way. But this also reinforces the notion that your decision on whether or not this is relevant to you and in what way it is relevant to you really is important. If you can't have a discussion about that with folks who are pressuring you to do it, you're just going to do the easy thing and potentially make a mistake. So 
understanding it is really important. Now, you're not going to understand it without some kind of experimentation. So really the advice and what I'm observing is that everybody is experimenting with AI tools that are out there just to size them up and see how they work or not. Thankfully, you can do quite a bit of that for free. It just costs your, your time. But to gain that, that experience is a good thing. There are products that are now claiming to be AI enabled, some of them more than others. So just experimenting with that, get a trial and see how it works or get a demo and probe, know enough to ask hard questions on is this really AI or is this just a bit of a clever automation and in what way is it? And I think that's really it. And if you're going to replace people with AI or if you're going to augment people with AI, you better also have very clear understanding of what it is you're doing. A lot of the aspects of a human's job are invisible. You don't know they're doing it until they're not there anymore. And I think that's why people move to AI only to realize that, oops, maybe this is not working because they didn't think about you know, those six other things that people were doing that the AI is not going to do it. Now, you may fire the AI you just hired because AI wasn't up to the job, but the disruption you caused is going to cost you. So you have to be really careful. Yeah, you do. We've had a lot of pushes for automation that come from vendors and come from consultants who are going to make their money with it. I can't, maybe that's one of the cautions I'd offer all companies, which is yes, explore this. Also be wary about the people who are selling it to you. Because most of them are doing it based on ambitions for a massive growth or, you know, some career making move or, and those aren't wrong. Just be aware of them because you need to know how skewed the advice is being given by people. Because there are a lot of, you know, we've seen over time, a lot of things sold to companies that didn't work. I have a friend who was doing, they were doing phone calls, lead generating phone calls. He oversaw a team that did that for a accounting software. And they replaced most of the team with online targeting that would come back with a list of these are your best prospects. And they went out and called the list of the prospects because now they had leads. And it turns out that they were determined to best prospects by how much time they'd spent on the website. And primarily, they were out of work accounting people trying to learn about the software. So in other words, they weren't prospects at all. And the automation identified them according to what some people believe would identify good prospects and they were bad prospects. So AI has that same risk that uh, things go wrong with this stuff. And until we understand it, I'd be careful how much I turn over to it. I think that's you know, yeah, a wise yeah, point. Now yeah, you've been yeah, exploring yeah. it more than I have. What's your, your experience been? You, you said you've been playing with it more. We have been. We are experimenting because we want to make sure if it is relevant, we're not missing out. The fear of missing out is real, but also it's in a very measured and slow way. We are, yeah. we are mm -hmm. putting a lot of effort into the data part, like I was explaining in last episode, the analytics, the metrics, the quality of data, all the stuff that we talked about last time. So that stuff will be illuminating. The AI stuff is more of an experimentation. The other thing I wanted to say about the, your commentary was just because another company does it is not reason enough for you to follow them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes mm -hmm. your competition makes a mistake and you'd be better off just standing by and watching them make the mistake <laughs> and not follow them just because they did it. Isn't that a big military thing? It's like nothing wrong with letting your opponent make a big mistake, you know, and watching them do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Know? As long as you have the confidence and you've done the studies and you know that what they're doing is a mistake and not something that 
you are going to fall behind if you don't follow quickly. There was an interesting thread on this on uh, on Twitter this week from a professor who had decided to use chat GPT as a way to help his students understand it. And he gave an assignment for his students to write papers, to issue prompts to chat GPT that would return papers. Then he asked the students to grade the papers. And he said the students were pretty shocked because every one of the papers had hallucinated references in it. And yeah. the students had no idea that ChatGPT could potentially even do that. And I don't know exactly what all the prompts were or what area they were looking at. That would be important to know if you're evaluating ChatGPT. But it was an interesting, I thought it was an interesting exercise, uh, you know, to have students use it to write a paper and then grade it themselves, you know, and look for stuff like that. He said they hadn't expected it. You know, they hadn't, the students hadn't expected that there might be something that it did that wasn't good. My personal experience is it gets old really fast. Mm -hmm. You know, the first time you use these AI tools, they impress you because your expectation is so low that for them to actually do as good as they do is like very intriguing. But then by the sixth, seventh, tenth, twentieth try, you start seeing the patterns and they get a little bit verbose, regardless of what prompt you give them, they can hallucinate. Fundamentally, the algorithm is automated a BS artist. So you have to know what you're talking about to be able to use the content that they give you because they don't know. And, and in fact, their algorithms are not designed to even approximate understanding. It's just sort of what is the likelihood of the next word? And I'm just going to go with this. The material that they got trained on may or may not have been right. Unfortunately, we live in times where a lot of the content that gets amplified is junk. And a lot of the data that these AI tools are trained on is public data that includes that amplified data that was junk. So you have to really know all of that. Yeah. I'm going to come back because I think it is really interesting to ponder because there's risk of them doing false things. It, it's interesting to ponder whether they're going to be primarily useful to people who are experts in a field who might be able to make their lives easier by having the AI start something off, but they're expert enough to correct its errors and to end up rewriting or, you know, basically bringing it to a better spot. But, you know, certainly that's not what we're hearing in the kind of popularized articles about it, which are kind of anybody could go to write. I could go write a, you know, paper on solid state physics, even though I know nothing about it. But I think, you know, it sounds like the truth is I could get it to write a paper on solid state physics. Whether that paper has any truth to it, I wouldn't know. Yeah, you absolutely need to know what you're talking about. And if you do, then it can be an assistant to you that can accelerate some things. You can dictate to it and say, turn that into prose that is more suitable for publication rather than just a colloquial conversation. You can say, give me an outline, and it might remind you of three things that you may have forgotten. So this brings us to an interesting transition because the last topic we wanted to talk about is about product. And as we're all watching ChatGPT and other AI products come out right now, we're seeing these product introductions. And of course, what we're seeing is the hype and a lot of the market end of it and not so much about the product. And I think it's time for us to turn our, our, our vision to products as one of the four P's of marketing. Because the reality is people talk about communication much more than product. They talk about price much more than product. We talk about distribution much more than product. And it's too bad because in a lot of ways, all marketing starts with product. And if we're not engaging the discussion, 
we're not doing our jobs. And I think you and I need to talk about that a bit because it might help our listeners begin to you know, maybe learn some new things about where product fits or what some of the reasons are that we're not hearing as much about it. Yeah, I think it's mostly because marketing doesn't own the product. Usually mm -hmm. the product group does engineering, depending on the kind of market that you're in. Price marketing may or may not own it, but they can at least opine on it at a minimum. Promotion for sure, and of course, that's where most of the conversation is. And then place, depending on how you even define what place means, marketing may or may not really be able to influence it much. But I believe the advice, at least the advice that I've always had for, for marketing folks is make sure you understand the product. You don't own it, but you can understand it. And make sure you understand competitive products. You don't have to be inside an organization to understand the product. Sometimes your competition understands your product better than half of the people inside the company because they spend time on it. They will take it apart. They study it, et cetera, et cetera. So if you understand the product, its attributes, its competitive standing, what makes it cool, what makes it unique, what makes it useful for what sort of real use cases and needs, mm -hmm. I believe that's the first order of business for marketing. You must mm -hmm. understand the product. But isn't understanding the customer more important? I mean, I think that's what yeah. we're told. Yeah. In fact, the interview I had with a CEO was for a CMO job. And he asked me this question and I went down this path of product. And he says, don't you think it's more important to know what the customer wants? And I was like taken aback, mainly because I thought that was obvious. Of course you do that. But that filter out what customer wants is when you introduce your product to that mm -hmm. analysis. So you want to filter what the customer wants according to the product. So now you can really look at the positioning of the product, the messaging of the product, the competitive end. You know, so that's the way I believe it actually works. By the way, that also shows many CEOs don't want a marketing person who is focused on product at all. They think that's a distraction. Your job is to go promote. You're too technical. You're too product-oriented. That's a problem. I think what they miss is that the product is the vehicle which satisfies customers or not. And I guess I learned this at an interesting lesson when I was first doing market research with Carla Roberts, who was the moderator I was working with. And she said that she found it really frustrating to do political research because going into political research, you know, the aides to a politician could show up, listen to what consumers said they want, and then just go back and write a speech that tells people they're going to get it because it doesn't have any limitations of product. Product is a ah. grounding thing because <laughs> it brings us the limits within which we have to succeed. So if a customer says, I want AI to tell me what the rest of my life is going to be like, you can't do that. And any company that just decides to promise it will fail at some point. And so there's this reality that products bring. I also found that I think that the tech product world suffered a bit because a lot of the marketers they brought in for brand marketing were from consumable goods companies like Kraft or J and Johnson & Johnson. And so they were experts at taking white stuff in a bottle and then putting it in a different bottle with a new ad campaign and charging twice as much. And you can do that with a lot of consumable products. You can't do that with a computer with a mouse, with a keyboard, you know, those are things of known physical presence. But I think I saw a lot of tech marketing that went off after that idea of, well, we can be anything we want. You can't actually, you have a product at your core. Yeah. There are B2B products that promise 
things that they don't quite do. If you're talking about a capability, what constitutes that capability? Mm-hmm. What do you need to do before you can claim to have that capability? Because if you can claim it with any, in an, an iota of credibility or some evidence that might point to that direction, there are folks who would make that claim. And then the customer may or may not understand the reality until they actually have that product installed and now they're stuck with it. So that happens. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I will tell you, I, I mean, as a guy who sold, man, you're always walking this fine line of, if I promise that, will a customer be happy when they get the product? And I tell my students that that's really, if they're selling, that's really the fundamental goal is you want people to be happy when they get the product. It doesn't mean that you've explained everything in gory detail because very often they'll never get the product if you go into too much gory detail, but you have to sell it in a way so that respects them so that when they get the product, they'll be happy with what they have. And there's a lot of people who don't sell that way at all. They'll say right, whatever it right. takes they think to get the business. Very often they don't get the business because experienced customers have a pretty accurate bullshit meter and they pick that up from salespeople. And I think we pick that up from marketers. But I, I think the one word I, we've lost a bit of is vaporware. And I think we need to bring that word back because... We have, over the last 10 years, seen a lot of vaporware out there, which means, you know, back when you and I were working in the computer biz together, vaporware was when you would talk about your next computer that hadn't yet been designed as a way to sell your current computer, which is the only thing you had to sell. And it was a very common practice and almost everybody did it. And customers had to be really wary about whether somebody was talking about a generation that hadn't been built or the generation that existed. And now we see it with, I mean, a lot of the chat GPT and the AI discussion is about potential. You know, well, it's going to do this. You know, does it really replace people on an assembly line at this point? No, of course not. It's just this, just this tool. Does it have the potential to do that? Well, we don't actually know yet. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. So we're hearing, I think, a lot of the hype and the fear is about vaporware as opposed to the real, you know, the real product. Yeah. I think in this case, people's expectation is that it will. I think that's the fear. That's the, Mm -hmm. that's the, maybe not a fear as much as a stark realization that, oh my God, this thing is a lot more real than I thought it is. And it is coming. And is this now the time to be prepared for it? Now, I think there's a lot of damage that can be done while you're preparing for it. So you have to be careful. But that is what makes it complicated. Yeah, it's been interesting. One of the observations from Melanie Mitchell, who's an AI expert out of the Santa Fe Institute in New Mexico, has been that the AI companies love the fear because it makes them seem monolithic. I mean, my God, if they really can destroy mankind, they must be powerful. And it's kind of an ironic truth that they may not be all that opposed to Elon Musk and the the crowd that are running around telling us the sky is falling because the sky falling idea works to their benefit. Anyway, that's way off product though. So coming back to product, let me, I want to ask you about this, which is, okay, so it's been lost from the conversation in a lot of ways. I have seen a lot of that, which is advertising very rarely 
includes anything substantive about the product. I kind of call a lot of ads as having, they have a patina or a little magic pixie dust of product included in them. But really, they, they become so focused on the idea that the product has made the consumer's life perfect that they focus on lifestyle and all these other things. But it's really rare that you see an ad that you say, okay, that's a good one about the product. But at the other end, I have seen also a revolution by the engineering design departments trying to keep marketing out of their business. There's a lot of the discussion of market research for product is coming out of the designers and the engineering departments and not the people who understand customers the best. And that concerns me. You know, part of my gripe about the marketing community, as you know, is that it's one of the few, if not the only, where criticism of each other is rampant. <laughs> it's pretty common to point to some other marketing person and say, you know, how dumb can you get? You shouldn't be doing this. So there's definitely that sensitivity in my head. Mm -hmm. Having said that, the only time I've really seen it in my own career is when engineering or the technical guys or whatever the product owners did not have enough respect for the marketing counterparts. Mm -hmm. The marketing counterparts did not come across as knowing enough about the product, enough about the customer, enough about competition to really have that conversation with the technical team and add value. And the moment they have that sort of a feel is the moment when they're going to stop talking. So it's really not about the marketing profession. It's about the specific individuals who may or may not have done their homework. Now, I have no doubt that the counterexamples exist. There are occasions where I'm just going to do my own thing is a lot easier and I'm, that happens. But it is also true that it's a very tall order to be able to have a seat at the table with the product team and add value. You, kinda, you need mm -hmm. to have done your homework. Mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely right. I think also I would say that sometimes we don't do our best job in marketing of putting the right people there. Because sometimes what the engineers need to hear from are the people who have a vision for the customer. But what they might get are the people who are the catalog preparers. And, you know, in other words, they're very detailed and that's really an important skill to have around in marketing. But what the design team might need are people who can say, well, wait a minute, if you organize it this way, or what about this and that, and can really engage that discussion about how do you make a product that's even more powerful in the market? You know, and that's really the point of it is how do you make it more powerful in the market? And that should work because it benefits the engineers and the designers as much as it benefits the marketers. So it should be engaged, but it has dropped out of the discussion some. I will say I'm working on a little thread right now in my complexity stuff hmm. where I've discovered that one of the problems with products is products are specific and unique, even within a competitive category. Within one product category, each product is specific and unique. And that makes it very hard for scientific study. So there's a lot of research, for example, around consumer behavior that ignores the impact of the product. Well, you can't do that. People behave relative to the specific product. Well, you can't generalize the specific product. I know. But what else are they going to respond to except that that product has these features? And that makes the scientific research nearly impossible. And I wonder somewhat in marketing where people are running around looking for universals is they're saying, well, there's no universals about how to deal with the product. Well, that's because it's specific 
and that makes it a whole different beast. And so it gets ignored more by marketers. Yeah, and you try to put your arms around it by limiting the scope mm -hmm. of the product or limiting the scope of the use case and say, this is the job this is being hired to do, and therefore that's all we're going to talk about. But I think as you limit the scope, you also miss out on all the other information. Mm -hmm. So at the end, you really haven't tackled the complexity. We have achieved mm -hmm. simplicity by just eliminating a whole lot of variables. Well, and I think you see with a lot of those folks that I, I know that work that way, you see that their products don't achieve much. You know, and I've had somebody, a friend of mine, tested one of those theories. And he said, you know what? The theory worked great for small incremental improvements. It did nothing for us in trying to find a next generation product or oh, find a new product that goes with it. Because, and it's a classic case where you make compromises to make everything easily handleable and well-behaved. And those compromises inherently take away your future. You know, if right, you demand right. neat and tidy product development today, you will not have a future. It's just what happens. You know, product development has to have a certain amount of messiness about it, or you're not going to discover the important things. Even even with AI, that's going to remain the case. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Maybe that's what everybody wants from AI is we wanted to make everything neat and tidy in our world. Well, right now, whenever you have too many of something that it just becomes too difficult for you is your signal to bring AI in. <laughs> ah, that's right. That's right. right. We used to have a hundred of these. Now we have two million. So AI. Right. Let's bring AI. AI will solve that. I guess that's our next. That's going to be our next mantra. Oh, AI will solve that. AI will. Uh, that's yeah. right. Okay. With that uplifting <laughs> note, maybe that's the time to end this episode. That sounds good to me. And it's been fun. And I, you know, I think we need to return to this product question some more. It's a, it should be an ongoing theme for us you know, from time to time. It was time to bring it back. I know we talked about it some episodes ago, part of the four P's, and we should do that. So thanks. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Doug. Until next time. Thank you, Shaheen. Take care. Bye now. That's it for this episode of The Marketing Podcast. Every episode is posted on orionx.net and shared on social media. Use the comments section or tweet us with any questions or to propose topics. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The Marketing Podcast is a production of Orion X. Thank you for listening.